Today we are looking at a passage that may be familiar to some. It's in the New Testament epistle, 2 Timothy, as uh, was written there by Paul, special words uh, to his uh, understudy and his disciple Timothy. If you look at the second book of Timothy, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, as I thought about this being kind of my my last sermon that uh, next week we'll be having a special time of testimony, I thought, well, what in the world would one share in a, in a sermon uh, that you really want to share your heart? And, and so, this is the heart of what I have always hoped for Christ community. I, I have, I believe, sought to and desire to see for years to come this to be the heartbeat of Christ community. So, I I think you'll agree once we get into the text and we see what uh, exactly I'm talking about, but uh, I pray this will encourage you as we get into our text today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Listen as I read the Word of God. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And our focus part of the text. And what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's pray together. Father, your words are are so powerful for they are your very words superintended and inspired and given from your very breath by the power of your Holy Spirit to put down in writing that we might, hundreds of years later from when they were written, receive them, be empowered by them, and have the very presence of your Spirit apply them to our minds and hearts and give us depth of spiritual insight, application, and a desire to want to see your living word make a difference in our own lives and in those whom we love and care about and those whom you put around us. Father, may the light of your very gospel shine bright, not just this very hour, but throughout this week and in the future for your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fort Knox has a 250-ton door on the vault. Ever heard of the Doomsday Seed 
vault on an island in the North Sea. Interesting. It holds 250 million crop seeds so that if there were a worldwide catastrophic event and everything was obliterated, there would still be the seeds of almost every crop-bearing seed that would be available to restart. They're all in this vault, deep, deep down in a bunker. The Federal Reserve Bank in New York, they say, holds maybe approximately 25% of the world's gold. Ever heard of the Greenbrier Resort? Just sounds like a typical name for a nice resort. Actually, underneath the Greenbrier Resort is a nuclear bunker in West Virginia. It's designed to hold all the members of Congress in case of a nuclear disaster. All these places are guarded very, very heavily. They are protected, they are guarded, they are entrusted with great care. I'm sure you can name others. Why? Because what is deposited there, what is within these holdings, these deep depositories are things that are very precious, things that are very valuable. Well, Paul speaks to Timothy about something that's much, much more valuable. A deposit that he's entrusted, not only to Timothy, but to the church that God himself has entrusted even to Paul and through Paul, that we have been given, even today. And so, my challenge for us, for me, for our church, in weeks and months and years to come, is to always, always guard the trust. The trust that God himself places such value on. So what is the trust? Well, let's look at our text. What is exactly is the trust? Focusing again on verses 13 and 14. But up in verse 11, <clears throat> the trust, as we see, is, of course, the good deposit, which is the gospel itself. The good deposit is that which is the gospel of grace. And what exactly do we mean by the gospel itself? Well, verse 9 and 10 kind of lays it out for us. He has saved us, that is Christ, and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his grace. See, that is the essence of what the gospel is about, is it not? We receive the love of Christ his complete finished work on the cross, all he has done in his perfect obedience in his life, all that he has done and accomplished in his death, his sacrificial atoning acts for us. And we do so not because of anything we have done. And that's kind of the essence of what we struggle with so much. We often want to receive, we believe we cannot receive the wonderful things that Christ has done for us, unless we have earned in some shape or form, unless we have done something, we have uh, acted in a way in our life, we have lived a life in a certain way to where by the end of our life, those things that we would have done over a lifetime 
would shine brightly enough, would outweigh those things that are not so bright, if even dark as it were, to where God would allow us into his very presence because we have done our very best. And oftentimes we think that's really how it's going to go. And the exact opposite is true. In fact, the gospel tells us that it's because of our very darkness, because of the very sinfulness, because of our very sin and disobedience and rebellion that we have to completely lay ourselves at the cross. We have to completely trust what has been done for us in Christ. The good deposit, the gospel of grace, not because of anything we have done. It also goes on in verse 9. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's an amazing thought. This grace was given to us before even time began, before there was ever even the existence of a second, a minute, a day, an hour, a year, before any recorded time, before even space existed, God was. The Father, Son, and Spirit always was, always is, and will be eternally the Godhead, three in one. And they, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Godhead, before the beginning of time, knew that grace was going to be given to you. Knew you before you were ever created. You see, <clears throat> grace is eternal. Grace is given to us, yes, in our time and space. We experience it, but it has been for all eternity, past and future. Verse 10, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, that's what Jesus has done. He has destroyed death for us. And so, we have life eternal. He's destroyed that which no one else could have destroyed because he was the perfect sacrifice. In destroying death through his resurrection, he now offers us a resurrected life. Life in him, he has brought that to us. He has deposited that with us as his children, as his brothers and sisters. We have received this good deposit. Other scriptures that remind us of this deposit of grace, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by how? becoming a curse for us. You see, we are accursed because the law stands perfect. The law of God is absolutely perfect. And it is relentless in its requirements and its expectations upon us who we cannot meet it. And so we can't meet the law and yet it requires everything of us. And so what happens is we're cursed We're cursed because of our own brokenness and our inability to keep it, our disobedience. But it says in Galatians 3 that Christ redeemed us from that curse of the law. How? By he himself becoming the curse for us. He took on our disobedience and our sin. 
2 Corinthians 5 again says, For our sake he made him who to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, became and took on our sin so that we would take on his righteousness. You see, we get what we did not deserve, and Jesus received what he did not deserve so that we receive righteousness as he received our sin and took it upon himself, making that eternal atonement for our rebellion and sin. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we, we might receive adoption as sons. See, we're brought in and adopted into the family. We're not just justified. We are now brought in and adopted into the family of God. You who are his children, you are in the family, sons and daughters of God. What a blessing we have to be in his family. The deposit of the gospel of grace is given to all those who are in that family. Ever since, even before I moved over here in the year 2000 to plant Christ Community, the vision was the same. And it hasn't changed since we began It's there on the front of your bulletin. Our vision as a church is to see the gospel change hearts, lives, and community by multiplying disciples in Northwest Atlanta and beyond. What changes hearts, lives, and community? Jesus changes hearts, lives, and community. His gospel of grace changes. The power of the gospel is what changes lives. Not any sermon, not any discipleship group, not any program. It's the living Christ in us and through us. That's going to change us, and it's going to change those whom we seek to share that same grace with. That's what's been entrusted to us, this deposit. Our only hope to see our own hearts changed and lives changed is because the power of the gospel transforms us. It won't be by reading the latest Christian best-selling on the top 10 list or listening to the most and best Christian communicators out there on a, a, a podcast. It won't be by going an entire year without missing a quiet time in your own personal walk with the Lord. And it will not be by more consistent church attendance in 2014 than you had in 2013 or keeping the nursery or doing some acts of service in the church more this next year than he did last year. See, those things really don't change us that much. Certainly, they contribute to a process of spiritual maturity by serving others and doing all these things, but it's only by daily Spending time with Jesus, living out our faith by faith, trusting him, depending on him, understanding our sinfulness, repenting of our sinfulness, going deeper in our understanding of what repentance means and how needy we really are daily doing that each and every single day that we have been given breath That is how we are changed, by the presence of the Spirit, Holy Spirit doing that in our lives. 
And doing that with one another, sharing that with one another, that's the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. This is the trust that we're called to guard, the very gospel itself. So the question we have to ask next is not just what the trust is, now we know that it is the very gospel itself, but who is called to guard this trust? Everyone go, you are, Mike. Yes, but not just me. Certainly, Paul was talking to Timothy, Timothy being a young pastor, he's talking to Timothy. Timothy, guard the trust. Pastor to pastor, guard the trust. So it must be pastors. Yes, I would agree. It would include pastors, absolutely. Paul speaking to Timothy to guard this very valuable trust. You know, it's interesting, over the years, I've thought back recently, and you may not know this, but every Sunday when I give the benediction, and even before and, and during the service, but I mean, from the moment I come into wherever we have worshiped over the years, it's not just been this place, but, and from the time where I go get in my car, even in the parking lot, I always have, in a sense, my radar up as a, I call it past, pastor, or pastor radar, whatever you call it. Uh, and it's just a sense that I have of wanting to protect the flock of this church. And there have been instances where I've engaged and met people in the lobby and talked to them, and they started asking questions and started um, inquiring about certain things, and I, would, and I would quickly sense, you know, I don't feel really good about this conversation. I just met this person and the way that they're inquiring and what they're doing, and I got a real quick sense about maybe what their agenda was or what they were about. And, and so immediately I would begin to ask questions and so forth. I can't tell you how many times I have met someone new to our church and said, let's have lunch in the next week or two. And they said, okay. And so I meet them for lunch and I never see them again. <laughs> it's because during our lunch, they ask questions and I give them honest answers or I ask them questions. And, and it just seems that maybe... We're not what they're looking for, or possibly there's some things about what our vision is and what's most valuable to us as a church that might not be on their heart. You see, it's important to keep what God has entrusted to us guarded, to watch over it carefully, to always be looking and watching to protect what God has entrusted to us. Now, I I know that pastors certainly are called to guard this trust, but also God's leadership of his church way beyond the pastors. In fact, elders and deacons and staff, all leaders are called to guard this trust. I remember in the book of Acts when Paul's farewell to the elders there at Ephesus. You remember in Acts chapter 20, it says this, Paul was saying, Keep watch to the elders. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. We must be on our guard. We must be vigilant to stay aware and constantly looking to guard this very precious deposit God has given us. But not just leaders, 
all believers, I believe, should take this exhortation to heart. All of us are called together to guard this deposit. All of us as believers. 1 Corinthians 16, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. That's to all Christians, all believers together. Every one of us must be vigilant to guard the purity and the beauty of this gospel of grace that God has given for us to live our lives according to. Even you children that are here, if you hear my voice and you're here in this service, you're old enough to be in this service right now with mom and dad, listen to your parents. How can you guard the trust? By listening to your mother or your father, listening to your parents closely, obeying their instructions from God's word to you understanding how important it is for you to listen and follow them as you respect and honor them in your life. That's how you can guard this trust that God has given you. If you're in middle school or high school or a youth, don't wait until you graduate and leave your house to make your faith your faith. Don't wait until you leave and go to college. How many here have a testimony when you went away to college and left home Your faith, you kind of left behind for a while. And you ended up doing things and experiencing things that really were not what we're honoring to the Lord. If you're in middle school or especially in high school right now, don't wait until it's time to leave home to make faith that you grew up with, your parents' faith, your faith. Start now making it your faith because when you leave home, trust me, you will have to make a decision if it's going to be your faith or not. You will be forced to. You will see. So start now making it your faith, doing in things, doing in, and pursuing those things which are your faith and not just your family or parents' faith. Parents, we've been entrusted to live out the gospel with our children. We've been entrusted to have this deposit and to live it out with our own children. How important that is. What a responsibility we've been given that's so valuable. Particularly fathers, husbands, above all, we're called to lead in this guarding of this deposit. We're called to live it out. Whatever experience we go through day to day, with our families, with those around us, to live out this grace. Sometimes we do well at this. Sometimes we don't do so well at this. I don't know. How many here already have your Christmas decorations up? Any hands? Got your tree up yet? Anybody going, okay. Well, just because of our schedule and hosting various things during this season coming up, even this Friday night, uh, before we left for Nashville, we needed to get some things done at our house. And um, we've had for several years um, a pre-lit tree, uh, artificial tree. I used to be one of those people that say, I'll never have an artificial tree. And I always had a real tree for years and years and years and years. I don't know why, but years ago, we got an artificial tree. Well, it seemed like every year a section of lights goes out when I plug. I don't know how it happens. I, I unplug it. Everything was fine. I put it in the basement. I bring it back up. I don't do anything for 364 days, but I plug it in and half of it doesn't work. And of course, 
it's frustrating, right? And so last year, we kind of strung some lights and we shook some bulbs and spent time frustrated. We finally got it looking okay. Well, this year, we take the tree out and we bring it up the side outside to the front door and on the way up, it kind of falls out of my hands. And so the top section, it's in three sections. It, I didn't realize this, but it, it kind of it, it broke. It bent the little, the little stick, that it, it just broke. It was so frustrating. And so I was trying to do all kinds of things, the duct tape and bend with pliers and everything. And then finally I get it up there and it's like, just sideways. It just looked like, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas tree or whatever. And then I go to plug it in. I mean, we're talking eight strands of lights and I plug them all in and only one, the bottom left, comes on. No other lights in the whole tree came on. None of them. So I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do? Let's just, let's, just, let's just throw it in the garbage and go get a fake tree for $30 at Home Depot. Let's just go. Do- no, no, no. So instead, the family wanted to cut every one of those strands of lights off the tree that are really put on there by the, like the factory. And then, so I go out to Target and get, you know, 10 strands of lights, bring them back, and we somehow make this. But, of course, that wasn't really the picture of what it looked like. I was huffing and puffing my whole way to Target and back, and I was frustrated because, you know, just the whole thing, and I was not honoring the Lord in my attitude the whole night. Just ask my family. I had to apologize to every one of the women in my house, all four of them, even Taffy, our dog. But, you know, we don't. We struggle with things. We, we let things get to us, and we don't guard the special trust that is so important in our lives. You know, the word here in verse 14 in the original language, the word deposit, it has a background meaning of someone who is going on a long journey. This is the picture that it gives. Someone's going on a long journey and they leave behind their valuables with a friend and they expect those valuables to be restored upon their return in full just as they left them. That's what the word deposit means. Jesus ascended, and he left the deposit of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing, that's a guarantee that he's gonna come again, and we will be with him for glory. And he entrusted to us his grace and the message of the good news as he went on that journey, and he will return. And he will long to be able to see the glory of that good news that he's entrusted to us. We've been given this deposit, all of us, not just pastors and elders, but all of us to trust and to watch carefully. Which brings us to the last and final question. How do we guard this trust? How do we guard this trust? Truly, How can we do this most important task? Well, first of all, in verse 13, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Okay, so first, keep the pattern of sound teaching. Keep the pattern of the gospel being heralded and proclaimed from the scriptures as they have been given to us. Be in the word 
Timothy, be in the Word and prayer. You know, I've always been careful, as long as I've been pastor of the church, to only allow someone to stand in this spot where I stand every Sunday, that I know in my heart will present to this flock the gospel of grace. I've never consciously allowed someone to stand here and proclaim the word of God that I did not believe would give the gospel to you. On men's retreats, even the other retreats we've had, and the women's retreats, the women who have spoken, uh, the way we go about doing our small groups, even in the early years, and the kind of material and the curriculum, all the things that we do, things that would impact you, that you would be exposed to, I only and ever have sought that you would be exposed to this deposit, this good deposit of God's grace. Now listen carefully. I'll have no involvement whatsoever in the selection of the second pastor of Christ Community Church. None. But I have only one request of you as a congregation because you will have to vote for that man to be your pastor. Make sure he understands the gospel for his own life. And make sure that he'll preach the gospel every single time he stands up in front of you. That's the only request I have to the elders and to you because it's not their decision. It will ultimately be your decision as a congregation. Keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Verse 13, he says, and do it with faith and love. You know, faith and love, living dependently on Jesus by faith and fulfilling the first and second greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. Faith and love. We guard the trust in faith and by faith and with the very love of Christ that lives and dwells inside of us. And then also verse 14 and verse 7, the Holy Spirit. We guard the trust because of the very presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Verse 7, he also says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit must be sought and must be present in fullness to strengthen and empower you and me to guard this gospel of grace. If we seek to do it in our own strength, which we often try to do, our own abilities, we will eventually find ourselves guarding what we think is the trust which might not be the gospel at all. We can easily go astray and start guarding things that aren't the deposit that God has left, but guarding things that we think and actually become substitutes for the true deposit itself. When we go in our strength, when we go in our might, may be careful to go in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yielding to the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Spirit himself, it's not a formula, it's not a strategy, it's a relationship of yielding to the presence of the Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. 
It will be experienced through an ongoing relationship where the Holy Spirit reveals his will and desires to us, his people, individually and corporately as his church. So really, if you think about it, we really don't guard the deposit at all. God guards his deposit, his gospel, by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the true guarding. The Spirit of God in us and through us is the one who is capable and only the one who is powerful enough to guard this deposit. Even when we fall and fail and stumble and struggle in the midst of all those things, the Spirit is still guarding that same deposit. He does all the heavy lifting, as it were, not us. And that's why the gospel of grace will never become extinct, because God himself guards it. You see, not you and me. God himself guards this deposit. And he'll do so for eternity. He's promised to do so. And we don't have to be concerned of losing it or messing it up or breaking it because God himself will keep it. He will guard it. He will present it that day in all of its glory. May we trust him with what he's able to do. May we follow and yield ourselves to him as he guards this deposit of the gospel.